Open your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 119. We're, we started looking at spiritual disciplines. We had the handout from last two weeks ago and last week, and now this week we're moving into that first spiritual uh, discipline of godliness. I, I clipped a whole bunch of handouts together, and the first one is Bible intake. The next one is um, prayer, and the third one is journaling. And on that one sheet, I had how they go together, how... Um, though we're going to look at them separately, they're, they're intermingled. There's no way of separating them. They're, they're intended to go together. And while um, prayer and Bible intake is an imperative from Scripture, journaling is not. So uh, while I'm very, very passionate about that, I'm just making that clear. It's just that from discipling and teaching people and from my own life, I can tell you that journaling is an enormous asset in accomplishing the faithful discipline of Bible intake, abiding in Christ, prayer. So that's why um, I'm including uh, that together. And while we'll go over them separately, they'll be intermingled uh, all along the way. And so we're looking at that spiritual uh, discipline. I'm sure I don't have to convince you of it, but... At some place, maybe even the next time we pick up Psalms, we may start at Psalm 119. I'm not sure. It's, it's daunting to actually think about tackling uh, Psalm 119. Uh, but anyhow, I want you to look at verse 9. To just remind ourselves, Psalm 19, 119, of course, is a, is a psalm that, that deals with um, the Word of God all the way through, um, an acrostic psalm. And every single stanza is dealing with the word. Uh, in particular, I think this second stanza um, just jumps out at the absolute essential nature um, of taking the Bible in. Remember, we've, we've set up that we need to have the spiritual discipline. It's essential. And this discipline is needed in every season of life. So we need it as a young person, we need it as a single, we need, we need it as a married person. We even talked about the, that sometimes we're a married person. I use the example of Judy and I. Judy and I were single. And, and, and then we were married, and then we were parents of young children, and then parents of teen children, and then, and then empty nest, and then grandparents, and now we're empty nest again. And one day, unless Jesus comes back, one of us is going to be single again. And every one of those changing seasons of life, and life changes up and down, there's only one thing that's stable, and that's our immutable God. And the only way to stay stable through all of those ups and downs and swings of life is to have yourself absolutely anchored to that rock. And you can't do it any other way. There is no other plan. It's it's. It's prayer in the Bible, and it sounds like a Sunday school answer, but it's amazing how easily and how prone our hearts are to wander away from those two truths. So yes, you hear it from me over and over again until you're probably like, again? Yes, again, because we continually need it. And so look at the scriptures, fresh and anew, this great need. How can a young man keep his way pure. Let's stop right there. This is being spoken to a young man. But I think we would all sit here and agree, would there be any argument that every single person in here needs to keep their heart pure? 
I mean, this is a decadent world, isn't it? And that becomes more and more and more difficult every day. And so this is specifically right here for a young man, but this would be for every, every believer. Look what it says. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it, that would be his life, according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word have I treasured. Um, I've laid up. I've memorized. It's your word that gives me this ability. And so it's your word that I've treasured in my heart. I think it's significant that it says treasured in your heart. Because we can't get it into our heart until first we get it into our head. And it has to make the trip. And, and, and so there, there has to be a discipline of, of putting it into our consciousness, into our thinking. And then the Spirit of God gives it life and moves it into our being, into our heart. And so there, there is that part that we, have to, that we have to do. Your word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. How do we, how do we battle the sin that so easily besets us. It's, it's with his word. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told of all your ordinances of your mouth. See, every one of those words means the Bible, means the scripture, precepts, ordinances, commandments. Sometimes it just says the word. There's eight of those that are predominantly used in this psalm all the way through. We'll cover those in detail and what they mean when we, when we teach this psalm. But each one of those, is that's what it's talking about, the testimonies, uh, the testimonies of God's word. I will meditate on your precepts. I'll meditate on your word, verse 15, with regard to your ways. Even ways is the meaning of the scripture, the way the scriptures lay out God's ways. I shall delight in your statutes. That's another word for the scriptures. I'll delight into, in the statutes, and I shall not forget your word. I mean, it, it just couldn't be any plainer of how important that needs to be in our life. Now, if you would, go to John 15. amazing passage of scripture here. But I'm going to quote something for you that we've all quoted many, many times. I've quoted this many, many times, and you've finished it for me. So I want to do that right now. It's right from John 15. Without you, without you, I can do let's, we'll try the, without you, I, I can do nothing. Without you, I can do nothing. Without you, I can do nothing. Who's the you? God. Jesus Christ. The Word made flesh. Without you, I can do... What does nothing mean? It means what it says. It means nothing. You'll accomplish nothing for the glory of Christ. Nothing that'll be eternal. Nothing that'll be lasting. Without him you can do nothing so okay so there it is we have that stamp that's imprinted on our mind 
But exactly what does that mean and what does it look like? These 12 verses just lay it out so plain. It just, it's just breathtaking. So if I preached all 12 of these verses, we would be here for four years. So I'm just going to try to walk us through it quickly so we can get on to the next thing. But let's read them. Look at it. I am the true vine. This is one of the seven I am's in the Gospel of John. This is who Christ is. He's describing all of his person by giving us these vivid illustrations. So he's a vine. And just think of a garden. In the garden, you've got a vine. Or think of a tree. A tree, you've got the stalk of the tree. And the vine or the tree have on it what? Branches. And what grow on the branches? The fruit. And so we're branches that God takes and produces fruit, but we have to be hooked to the vine. That's the picture. It's very illustrative, and it's something that even a five-year-old could understand. It's, it's, it's so beautiful, and it's so clear. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. In fact, he says true would give you the indication there are false ones. It's not really a vine. It looks like a vine, but it's a weed, just going to wither and die. But there's a true vine, and it's Jesus Christ. He's the only true vine. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, that would be the Father, takes away. And every branch that bear fruits, he prunes it so that it will bear more fruit. Okay, so there's a picture. We all know. We have enough experience in gardening and working in orchards or just life and reading books about it. We, we know that prune in June, if you want to have fruit in the fall, I mean, right? I mean, this, uh, you know that. So uh, we get pruned. Usually hurts when we get pruned. We don't like the pruning process, but the the pruning process is part of our sanctification, and as we're, as we're sanctified, we bear more fruit. So as we're going through life's difficulties, as long as we stay in the vine, the vine dresser is going to prune where it's needed and how it's needed, and the whole purpose of, the, of, of our, our being, the whole purpose of our being is that we would be fruit-bearing. If you call yourself a believer... And from a biblical perspective, you have no fruit. We need to sit down and talk. You should be very concerned. Someone who is attached to the true vine is cultivated and and grown up in Christ, and the Father prunes where it's necessary so that you will be productive. And we're going to see to who and why. And and it's all all laid out here. Just so so clear. You you can't get away from it. Look at verse 3. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now, here's what he's saying. This isn't the idea of somehow you've got to work something up. You're already in the vine. You're already clean. Your sins have already been paid for. You've already been grafted in, as Paul says in Romans. We've been grafted in. We're part of the vine. Glory to God. And yet that ongoing work continues. So... What's our part? He begins now to lay it out in verse 4. Abide in me. There it is. I must abide in Jesus. 
He's talking to his disciples. Where are his disciples? You must abide in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. So that should be raising the question, how exactly do I abide in him? I know I've been grafted in, but what's this sense of abiding? How do I I get the juice, the nutrients from the vine into me, the branch, so that it produces fruit. How how exactly do I do that? Because I've been commanded to do it. Well, he continues. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and shall gather them and they shall be cast in the fire, and they shall be burned. That's pretty serious. That's pretty serious, isn't it? And so, um, look what he says in 7. If you abide in me, and now we're going to get more clues, if you abide in me and my words, my words, words of the living God, the word, it's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, the Bible says. It's completely sufficient. He says, your words abide in you. Look what he goes to next. He says, ask whatever you wish. When you see the word ask there, what does ask mean? What's another word I could put in there besides ask? Pray. That's what we're doing. When you ask that's what you're doing. You're, you're, you're praying to the God. You're asking your Heavenly Father. So when, when God's words abide in me, in other words, just like we read in, in Psalm 119, when I treasure them up, when I'm seeking to let his testimonies, his commandments, his statutes, I delight in them. When I'm abiding in them, those words are abiding in me, I'm now in a place where I can ask. I can ask whatever you wish. Wow, that's a pretty amazing statement, isn't it? Isn't that an amazing statement? You can ask whatever you wish. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean I can, we could use a bigger ministry center so we only have to do one service. I can just pray and God will go poof and all of a sudden this place will hold 1,200 rather than 400. I, I mean, you can watch plenty of programs on TNN and you can find plenty of people standing there telling you that's all you've got to do. I mean, you can name it and claim it. And God's like obligated. I mean, God is obligated to you. May I say clearly, that's not what this saying. If your words, if Jesus' words abide in you and you've treasured them up and you delight in them, what are you going to be praying back to him? You're going to be praying his words back to him. You're going to be praying that his will be done, that he would be glorified. Uh, yeah, the, the, the very basis of our prayer is that we understand our own sinfulness and how easily we are deceived and all of those other things. And so therefore we're always praying like the very word made flesh prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and that is sometimes we have desires but our desire is not the main deal. Who's the, what's the main deal? It's his desire, right? And so we're always praying with the heart of thy will be done. Lynn, I'm a relatively older man. Hundreds of times, 
I have no breath in me to pray. And the only thing I can pray is, thy will be done. Thy will be done. Apparently, that's okay. That's what Jesus did, sweating great drops of blood. Sometimes the only thing you can do is that spiritual battle is submitting your heart out of love to his will, knowing that you're trusting him. And, and, and so that's what's all taking place here. Ask what you wish in that spirit, and it'll be done for you. Why will it be done for you? Answer, verse 8. My Father is glorified by this. You see, God wants to answer those kinds of prayers because he's glorified. And not only is he glorified when he answers those kind of prayers, you bear much fruit. He loves you to be fruit-bearing. Fruit-bearing is to the glory of God, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. There's assurance. You know why people lack assurance so often? Number one, they don't understand the scriptures. Number two, because they don't understand the scriptures, then they don't use these disciplines in their life, and so they're not fruit-bearing. And because they're not fruit-bearing, they don't have answer to prayer, and so they, they lack assurance. Listen, when God's con- continually answering your prayer, that's one of the greatest assurances you can have, Amen. And, and, we, and we know that he hears and he answers prayer. And it's, it gives us a, a confidence. In fact, in Hebrews it says that the same idea, this confidence, is such that we can come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Speaking about speaking about this matter of prayer. He then goes on to say, it's, a, it's the same uh, idea, if you keep my commandments and you will abide in my love. Now he goes from abiding in his word, letting the words abide in me, that when I'm doing this and when I'm praying and when I'm fruit bearing, that, that is abiding in his love because I'm gonna, my, my heart's desire is going to be to obey his commandments. And that's, that, is a, that is abiding in his love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. We're, we're being like Jesus. We're, being, we're, we're obeying, empowered by the Spirit, as we're delighting in that word. We're praying, we're getting answers to prayer, we're, we're fruit-bearing, and we're abiding in that love. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love and joy and peace. And, and, and we sense that. And, and that's what he says next. He says, these things... I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. When you abide in Christ and when you're fruit-bearing, even in the most difficult day, you'll have a joy unspeakable full of glory, empowered by the Spirit of the living God. And, and, and it's that stability that, that we desperately need as believers. So, Look at your handout, and let's just look at the spiritual discipline of Bible intake. Mine's colored. Yours is not. So I'm looking at the second handout there, and it's this one. It's got spiritual discipline on top of it. Spiritual discipline of Bible intake or abiding in Christ. Got the verse there from Second Peter, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You find it okay? And I, and I have here the basic um, components of abiding, or uh, the basic component of Bible intake. Bible intake is the word that is used in the book that I showed you by Whitney, Don Whitney, Spiritual Disciplines. Excellent book. There's a Bible study book that you could take that goes with it, um, and it's just superb. But these would be the basic components, and so this wouldn't be uh, surprising to you. Um, We're just going to look at them, and then the idea is that I want to take from there and go through just the process that I think will help you and let us talk to one to another to accomplish this. Yes, George. I'm not sure uh, which of the two sheets, uh, the one, the big one, the, one, the multiple page or the... Let me see. I'm not sure. I'm sorry. Let me see the this. One. The big one. The big one. Here I am. I, I know it's confusing. I'm sorry I've done a poor job on this. There we go. Right here. Ah, thank you. All right. Anybody else need some help in that? I totally get that I didn't do this very well. I was teaching the same thing on Wednesday evenings um, for three weeks. I just completed this last Wednesday. And I was copying and pasting and flipping and flopping. And theirs was the same but completely different because for them, I had geared the whole thing to married couples. How does a young married couple build these disciplines into your life as a young married couple so you can begin? And, and in there were some people that were dating and looking to get married and engaged and all of that stuff. So it was, this is a much broader perspective here. And in my copying and pasting and making different handouts, I, I made a mess. So forgive me. Anyhow, it's all here somewhere. You got it? Spiritual discipline. So these are the components. You've got to hear God's word. I, mean, I know that may be obvious, and I've put down several ways there, but we'll talk through those on the next page. So there's the fact that we have to hear God's word. Faith comes by what? Hearing. By, by hearing the word of the living God. So several things that are just obvious i Put there, we discipline ourselves for consistent attendance in the local church, uh, corporately in the church for the preaching and the teaching, uh, corporately in Sunday schools, small groups. All, all of these are, are word-based so that we can abide in Christ, so we can take the word in. I, I do it personally through many uh, ways, reading the scripture out loud at home. So, We'll talk in some detail, but obviously you've got to hear the word. And secondly, the next component is read the word. Disciplining yourself um, to a time when you're studying and, and, and reading um, the Bible yourself. Uh, this thought uh, occurred to me probably about three years into the discipline. And uh, I, um, I thought to myself, God is the author of the Bible. And um, someday I'm going to see him face to face. And um, I wonder to be like, man, I don't, I, I don't even know if, I, I don't know exactly what heaven's going to be like. If you do see me afterwards, explain it to me. So, um, but I thought to myself, wow, what if he asked me, how do you like my book? <laughs> and I said, 
oh man, I loved it. I just ate it alive. And he said, great, I'm glad to hear that. What would you think of Leviticus? Well, that one was pretty hard. So I really, I loved Genesis and Exodus. It was so exciting. And Deuteronomy, wow. But then I skipped a few. Well, did you like Habakkuk? Ahua? And I just, I just thought to myself, you know, um, I don't know when I'm going to see Jesus, and I don't know that I'll understand the whole thing. As a matter of fact, I'm sure that I won't. But I'd at least like to be able to look at God and say with integrity, at least one time I've read every word. Okay, so why I'm telling you that is that, that probably it wasn't until I was into my 30s that this thought ever occurred to me, so I started out on the trek to read through the Bible. Now, you know, I think it's great for people to read through the Bible once a year, but there's no magic in that. I shouldn't even use that word, I know, but there's no magic in that. Abiding and all these things that we just talked about in the Word is, is a whole lot more than reading, but it's not less than reading. Do you understand that? It's a whole lot more than reading, but it's not less. So, so if, if the whole of your devotional life is just trying to check off boxes and get all the way through uh, the Bible in a year, yeah, you're going to miss all these other things. And, and so somehow there has to be a balance. But I'm just suggesting that you may, as a believer, want to consider reading the entire Scripture. The first time that I did that took me at least three and one-half years. So while everybody else was doing it in one year, and, and cheering themselves at the end of the year, I'm thinking, man, I've only got a third of the way through. And it took me three and a half years, but I really rejoice. I, I can say now to God, I have read all of your book. Now, obviously, I've read through it more than that first time. So I, I think you should read all the way through Scripture, but reading all the way through Scripture is only a piece that you must consider, which will bring us to all of these other things we're going to think about and why it's a discipline that needs to be brought into your life. So besides the reading and the hearing, we've got to study it. Uh, you can read it, but that's not the same thing as studying it. That's not the same thing as digging in inductively and, and asking yourself, what exactly did God say here? What did God mean by what he said? Looking at the context and, and figuring out what's the theme, what's the meaning, what's the instruction here for me? What is it that I'm supposed to think? How do I respond? What, what is what God who is the main character? What is being revealed to me in this passage? That, that takes some work. That takes, that takes some Bible time. And so that study is completely different from just hearing and reading. And then that treasuring or memorizing God's word, that's another whole thing. And then meditating upon it, that's, that's, that's another whole thing. So I got this truth, I found out this answer. Now how do I meditate on that day and night and then learning how to share what you've learned because we're to go and make disciples. So those are all the components. And in the next section, what I did, none of this is prescriptive, but I'm going to walk you through next week what would be typical of the last 40 years of my life of, of how do I do a time alone with the Lord. What are the things that I think about? What are some of the processes that I go through and as we do that, I want to find out what you're going through, how you do it. And let's see if we can't learn from one another, because there has to be a routine. It's a discipline. There's a routine. 
You've got to get into a routine. There's some decisions you have to make. There's some priorities you have to make. And how is it that you're going to read through the whole Bible, but at the same time you're going to study? But at the same time you're going to meditate? But at the same time you're going to memorize? And you're going to pray? How do we do all that? Does it ever overwhelm anybody besides me? And, and I'm just saying I've come up with a system. It's not a perfect system, and I want, but I want to walk you through it. And my question to you all the way through is, how are you doing it? And if you do it completely different, for the glory of God, praise the Lord for that. Let's hear how, how you do it. But I, I would like in a month for us to all have a system that's working, that we're abiding in Christ, and his words abiding in us. And we're asking, and we're fruit-bearing, and we're confident in the Lord, and we have his joy for the glory of God. That's my heart's desire for you, and that's what we'll per- be pursuing. So you can, you can read through it, and that's what this next section is. It just deals with, in a very practical way, typically what I do in the course of my morning devotions. So we'll look at that next week. God bless you. You are dismissed.